1: get ready for a little surf and turf action on midnight run through a podcast miniseries devoted to celebrating the 1988 contemporary classic action buddy comedy midnight run written by george gallo and directed by Martin Brest. Co-hosted by me, One Heat Minute Productions' Blake Howard.
2: And me, Jen Johans from Watch With Jen.
1: Each week, we'll explore the film we first bonded over when we became friends in 2019 by surfing through an incredible roster of guests from journalists to novelists and beyond who love it as much as we do. Digging into Serrano's finances and Alonzo Mosley's FBI files, come with us on Midnight Run Through as we crisscross the United States with the characters played by Robert De Niro, Charles Grodin, John Ashton, Yafet Koto, Dennis Farina, Philip Baker hall Joe Pantaleano, and company on screen. Today, our guests are.
0: Hi, my name is Peter Avellino. I write the film blog Mr. Peel's Sardine Liqueur, and I can be found on Twitter at Peter A. Peel.
3: Hi, my name is Nell Minow and I'm the movie mom. You can find me at moviemom.com. Also at rogerebert.com where I'm a contributing editor.
1: But before we go any further, let's kick things off with Jack Welch's old turf with the ultimate question.
2: Why were you so unpopular with the Chicago Police Department? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, I had a run in with a drug <laughs> dealer there. It's a long story.
1: OK, well, we've got some time to talk about it.
3: But I am from Chicago, so you're probably right that I
1: am. On- <laughs> <laughs> you're on the watch list.
0: I love this movie. I was watching it again last night and watching it again. I've seen it many times, obviously. It caught me in a mood that almost made me melancholy how we used to get movies like this and we don't anymore. And this was, if not a perfect version of that sort of form, it comes pretty close. Mm. You know, these two great actors who are just these opposites in their energy coming together and it becomes magic, which wouldn't always be the case, but in this case, they go together together beautifully and it's just this combination of comedy and drama and action that you know and road movie obviously that makes it all come together so beautifully and it gets the tones just right you you could imagine a version of this movie and I'm sure there are versions of this movie that are too funny or Mm -hmm. try to be too funny or try to focus way too much on the action it's like this one, everything seems right in how it combines all of these elements. When Groden has to be serious, when he's com- confronted by Dennis Farina near the end, it's a dead serious moment for both of the actors. Even for Farina, who some years later, we associate him with this sort of get shorty persona, which he would do in other movies. But in this one, except for a few lines, to fill Baker Hall which are memorable <laughs> he's it's an extremely serious presence that he has it's a believable threat to Groden because we don't want to hurt Charles Groden nobody does he does we we believe, it. Mm-hmm. we believe it so I'm finally in the presence of greatness huh the Duke. The guy that steals money from the scum of the earth and gives it to the unfortunates of the world. I wanted to meet you face to face. Did you actually think that you were going to steal my money and get away with it? I stopped by here to tell you two things. Number one is that you're going to die tonight. Number two... I'm gonna go home have a nice hot meal i'm gonna find your wife and i'm gonna kill her too it feels like one of the best versions we ever got of charles groden as screen persona you know that acerbic quality he would bring to talk shows and other movies and it's this great part for him and it, if I can mention De Niro for a moment, um, watching it reminded me that up until this point, a lot of the films that De Niro made were sort of, you know, attempts at big epic type ideas with Scorsese, with Chimino, with Leone. Yes. And because a few of those maybe underperformed in the early 80s, there were a few years with, uh, there were kind of extended cameos, Brazil. Commercially, The Untouchables was the big success of that. And everyone loved him in The Untouchables. And this was almost this follow-up. And for the first time, De Niro was it wasn't the first time De Niro was seen as somebody likable, but it was like the first time De Niro was being seen as this uncomplicated movie star persona. And I think people love him in this movie. I love him in this movie. Mm Adore him in this movie. (laughs) Fun to watch. He's likable. We want him to succeed and get that coffee shop. And <laughs> yes,
1: sometimes
0: we're in despite his the
1: despite the advice from his financial advisor Charles exactly. Grodin's the Duke, who says that <laughs> how many restaurants fail in their first year and want to give him the stats. Don't tell me the odds. I don't want to know.
0: <laughs> we want that coffee shop to succeed. We never yes. see it, but we want it to succeed. Yeah. Yes.
1: Now. Please tell us about your relationship with Midnight Run.
3: Well, I don't want to get my relationship with Peter off to a bad start, but I'm going to argue that this isn't, in fact, a perfect movie. There are a lot of great movies in the world, but there are very few perfect movies that do exactly what they're trying to do, and they do it so well. I am a structuralist and it's very important to me that a movie be structured well and this movie which is episodic in a way because we see a lot of people in this movie that we never see again yeah um yeah. still each scene builds on all of the others and yes. we will have some time to talk about charles grodin and robert de niro i think peter handled that beautifully but I want to say something about the fact that every single person in this movie is perfectly cast. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. have a lot of people that we've seen in roles that are not that exciting, like John Ashton, uh, mm-hmm. really comes into his own so beautifully with the character of Marvin, who is uh, sort of a, a not nearly as smart as he thinks he is. <laughs> That, and of course, you know there are these wonderful, memorable scenes—the litmus configuration scene, and you know <laughs> the sort of set pieces. Uh, but and the, and the scenes with the the bail bondsman Joe Pantiliano. But the one that I keep coming back to is when Robert De Niro goes to see his ex-wife and the young daughter that he hasn't seen in quite a long time. That scene could be a short film. In and of itself, we know everything about those relationships. And the moment when his daughter wants to give her him her her money for you know her little bit of money that she's that she's saved.
1: Wait, isn't much—about a hundred and eighty dollars babysitting money, oh, sweetheart. I can't. I can't. Please.
2: I can't, I can't, sweetheart.
3: You know, that is incredibly powerful, and yet It's a wonderful scene. It doesn't kick us out of the story at all. It continues to move the story forward in terms of his relationship with Charles Grodin and in terms of his growing understanding of the choices he's made in his life and what he wants to do differently in the future. So I think it is uh, really a a rare, perfect movie in that it accomplishes everything that it tried to do and every single scene builds on the one before it
2: uh, just beautifully.
1: It is so funny, Jen, how many times that scene has come up in this show.
2: Yes. I think it makes the movie. Yeah.
1: If we were
0: to do some sort of Twitter list of like favorite De moments, and I'm sure somebody has mentioned this. Probably one of mine would be the bit where he says to her, Are you in the eighth grade? Yeah. The
2: eighth grade. It's the <laughs> yeah. best part. It's of like that. this believably
0: yeah. desperately clumsy attempt to try to keep conversation going with someone he doesn't know as
3: much as he wants to yeah. and, and to, like, and, and to reassure he her that he's not the guy she's saying right this minute who is desperate and a mess yeah <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. absolutely yeah he's trying to normalize that moment in a, yes. in a in such a touching way
1: and it's, absolutely it's the polls it's it's where he goes with the character of jack now which i want to touch on which i, th- I love how you put it is like structurally perfect is because jack in the beginning watch him get shot at and he's like yeah it just is what it is he doesn't tell the cops doesn't get the doesn't get his mark in more trouble well, did he give you any trouble no he's fine you know just fairness is there and then one of my favorite moments of any de niro any de niro moment which is a huge call but it's when yafet koto's alonzo Mosley is talking to him and he just starts going like this
2: <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's on the scene just- and, and isn't yafet koto looks- wonderful yes. in the movie
3: well, one of my favorite De Niro moments, because as we said, this is a departure from for him, we're, we're used to seeing this incredible intensity, is this conversation about the chickens. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're just not <laughs> expecting Robert De Niro to say, well, there are a couple of chickens back there.
2: <laughs> I'm taking a shot at, yeah.
3: <laughs> and so that's us enjoying Robert De Niro the same way that the Duke is enjoying jack that he's yeah. setting yes. up a little bit and uh and I, I just love that
2: brought up all of the bit players and everybody being perfect and i love it like even you know people that you never see again like the woman who this isn't your name or you know she recognizes that or you know you talked about the litmus configuration and you oh. know is your name red and you know like <sighs> everybody in every scene is great do you have any uh favorites
3: well, I do love red. Um yes. and, and I and, and the way that, that he responds. I love the chorizo and eggs um yes. waitress. <laughs> and can we now just sort of cross cross the aisle a little bit and talk about the people that uh Dennis Farina surrounds himself with? Oh. uh because yeah. Philip Baker Hall, who's a joy in any movie, always thrilled to see him. Uh and he is just perfect as the mob lawyer you just know that that's exactly what mob lawyers are that they feel like they have to speak up and say um and then when uh the boss says uh go have a sandwich watch a movie have a glass of milk you know, <laughs> Do uh, some uh, of yeah you say, okay i'm gonna i'm gonna duck out now but everybody he surrounds himself with and that includes the two heavies that he sends uh after uh after jack
0: yeah is this moron number one Put more on number 2 on the phone. Yeah, Jimmy, he's uh, right here. Hold on. He's pissed.
3: But more on number 2. I, I love him because you know everything about him by the fact that when he's just standing there, he has to do a little bit of a punchy thing. You know? yeah. <laughs> somebody who does what he's told. He doesn't think at all. Yes. As we know, because Moron number one at least can recognize the name of the hotel on the towels.
0: I remember in college a couple of years after this movie came out, hearing people I didn't know out of nowhere quoting Farina talking to Philip Baker Hall. Yeah, like at parties and stuff. And it was my, like the first indication I had then that this movie was going to have a long tail, that people were quoting that dialogue. And I would just, I would, because I mentioned it the last time Jen and I talked about this movie, I would also mention the, the Teresa and Ex Waitress, who is one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. <laughs> I love the yeah. way she says 53 cents a couple of times. I just yeah. love her interaction with Grodin. <laughs> How much money do I have left? That's it? That's it. We're starving and you're buying
2: cigarettes? I need these cigarettes. You can have your whatever you're gonna have, I'll have this. What can I do for you boys? Coffee, please.
0: How much is the coffee?
2: It's 53 cents.
0: How much is tea? 53
2: cents. Okay, and our breakfast special today is chorizo and eggs. Chorizo and eggs? Chorizo and chorizo eggs. And, yes. What is that? Please? It's a Mexican sausage mixed in with scrambled eggs, and it comes with hash browns and toast. I won't be having that. Thank you.
1: <laughs> the I, I love how he says <laughs> yes, it. I love how he says before it. Before
0: he says, I'll have tea.
1: And, and, and he whispers it. He goes, I'll have tea. Yes. <laughs>
3: so great about that. Well, to, 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 let me say a couple of things about that scene. One is, I one hundred percent believe that that is a waitress who has been <laughs> in that job her entire life. Yes, uh, that is that is what I, you know a non acty acting job. She mm. she you really believe that they just happened to find her at a diner there and put her in that role, and she's just got that that friendliness, uh, that sort of bland friendliness that whoever comes in is gonna get. Uh, and the difference between Jack, uh, who has no problem making a decision about what he wants and and the Duke who who considers it for, should I want coffee, don't wanna, he is somebody, I mean, <laughs> you, that tells us a lot about the two of them because he is somebody who thinks about his decisions, whether he's thinking about ratting out the mob or whether he's thinking about whether to tell Jack that he's got a money belt on whatever he's thinking, he is thinking (laughs) all the time. And so he is somebody who is giving her the courtesy of considering the option she's presented and what, what his preference is. And so, you know, I just, I, I do love that scene. That's a great scene. There are very few movies (laughs) like that where I say, I'm just gonna watch the first fifty. I'm just gonna watch until he captures it. I'm just gonna watch, and, and then you end up watching the whole thing. And that—that's one. The best years of our lives is another one where I said, "I'm just yeah. gonna watch until Hoagy Carmichael comes." <laughs> well, you know, and, and I just—I can't—I can't stop. Couple well, hours so, later, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to your point, like as you know, because uh, I was talking to you about it before. My daughter's a costume designer in Hollywood, and she will tell you, as will the production designers and all the other people that work on movies, that. If you get it wrong, everybody will notice it and will take you out of the movie. What you want is to get it right, not just so that you are helping to tell the story, but so that it doesn't distract anybody. And if that diner didn't look like a real diner, then we would all be going, wait a minute, that's a pretty fancy light fixture for a diner, you know, (laughs) and... And, and, and yeah, that is all done very, very well. Now, you guys may know more about this than I do, but my recollection is that nobody had very big expectations for this movie, and no. it ended up kind of accidentally being the big Christmas release for the studio, which had planned on something else, and that Marty Brest was quite young when he made it, right?
1: Yeah, he, he was young. In the industry, in town, um, Die Hard was scared of Midnight Run. Yeah. So pre the release of Die Hard, they were like, oh no, it's an action comedy from the guy who made Beverly Hills Cop with mm-hmm. Robert De Niro in an action comedic movie star role. Holy heck, you know, what's, what's poor moonlighting Bruce Willis going to do against Robert <laughs> De Niro. Um, And so it made a modest amount of money. And like back in the day, things could underperform, but still make. Like fifty million dollars, you know what I mean? Like it made money, um, but it certainly wasn't as the towering success of Die Hard um was. But it made enough money. It then, though, was one of those first movies that cable in the states really picked up on, and mm-hmm. it then gained, as you yes. were saying, Peter in the colleges when people are quoting it, they're not quoting it just from the scream that people had at the theater and watching it maybe multiple times Mm -hmm. for big fans. They were people who watched it on HBO like seven times a week because it was on there like 30 times. And, you know, any given time you turn on that channel, it's just there, like at some point and you're like, oh, the litmus configuration is coming up. I'm I'm just going to, I'm not going out just yet. I want to watch the litmus configuration (laughs) or whatever it is. it it, It was one of those things that had an immediate leap from the theater's into people's homes and then lived and lived and, lived and lived and lived and lived and lived for people who missed it it was one of those first yeah. ones
3: but if it you wasn't know. a great movie people would not keep watching it over oh, and yeah, over but it is a movie that you can watch over and over and enjoy every single time let's look i want to go back to the litmus configuration for a second we talked about red who again is oh. perfectly <laughs> you feel that he's been the small town bartender forever and that he knows everybody who comes into the bar, and there are no surprises going on there. But what I wanted to focus on also in that scene is the way it plays so beautifully the shifting understanding between our two main characters. Yeah, it, it's it, to to go back to Beverly Hills Cop. It's a little bit like the bar scene in Beverly Hills Cop, yeah. where you yes. see a new side of the other character and just to watch their eyes as they see each other. And as Robert De Niro enters into the fantasy of the counterfeit bills uh, and backs him up, uh, Mm -hmm. that, that, that's such an important moment in their relationship.
1: We'll be back after this quick break.
3: Another transitional moment is uh, when uh, Jack reintegrates his cop self when he's talking to Yafet Kodo yes. and says, you know, you know, we could probably charge him with this, right? And we could, you know, and and you can just see that if he hadn't had that experience, if he hadn't had this journey, um, he he would have lost that part of himself. But because mm-hmm. of all that has happened over the course of the last couple of days, He is ready to reclaim that, a part of himself that he really values.
1: Yeah, and he's ready to improvise.
0: It's an extremely good movie when it comes to information like that, whether it has to do with the plot or a character. You could imagine another version of this movie cutting out the moment you just mentioned because they just wanted to get to the action. Yes, this movie balances out the action and the characterizations and the information we need to know about Serrano and the discs and Grodin and all that other stuff. It's like, what do we need to know to follow the plot? And the movie doles it out expertly every step along the way.
3: And the scene that you mentioned is also very important in that way, because we've heard about Serrano and yeah, maybe he's a bad guy, but we really see what a terrible Mm -hmm. person he is Mm because not only is he saying to the duke i'm gonna kill you he's gonna say i'm gonna kill everybody in your family and then i'm gonna have a sandwich and i'm gonna be just fine with it it's gonna bother me and you really that you believe it makes us know how important this is to get to get him taken care of now you uh just mentioned the action and i want to uh argue that um Action in this movie is as good as any action ever was. Yeah. You know, that's sure. not a throwaway either. The helicopter scene is amazing. It's still one of my all-time favorites. Yes. And even though there's some humor in some of the action, um, I think that you know they didn't shortchange those that part of it at all.
0: And the- And crazily, apparently, they went to New Zealand to shoot some of that stuff. They went to New Zealand for the rapids, which seems nuts, but it happened.
3: Because it's not Mm -hmm. like we don't have rapids here.
0: Uh, Apparently, the water was too cold. and They wanted to find somewhere where it was warm. The the scene is about a minute long, so it seems like a lot of effort. But nevertheless, Grodin writes all about going to New Zealand.
2: Yes.
0: amazing. In his autobiography, yeah.
3: Well, so right when the movie begins and uh we learn the following things about jack we learn he's really good at what he does he's very good at finding the duke which nobody else has been able to do he's got a very clever way of going about that but then when he's actually in the apartment he's he's in the shower <laughs> he's, he's behind the shower door so we know that introduces us to what kind of a movie we're going to be in it's a movie where there is some genuine police type law enforcement type action but there's a sense of humor about it too uh you know he's a guy that can get barked at by a scary dog but he's not going to let go and um and uh he's going to get his he's going to get his man
1: I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I've heard many people talk about it in the love of this movie well before I started this project. And I'm not sure if we've talked about it on an episode yet, but in every movie that a car gets stolen, it happens so fast in other movies. Like someone just goes and things happen. But in Midnight run, like things happen and Jack does things in the car that I've never seen anyone do before, both under the hood and then in there, and then he starts the car and it's like. You actually start to go, wait, I've seen this scene in maybe 150 movies before. It takes but, five seconds. Yep. But maybe this is the only one where Robert De Niro actually hotwired a car. Like, so, <laughs> like maybe this is the only one that had ever happened where the actor hotwired the car for the film. You know, it's right. I I always think of that touch as well. It's like for all its pattern ridiculousness and fun. And then, as you said, the tonal shifts and how perfectly they complement each other. I'm like, he ha- he gets into that car like that's amazing
3: <laughs> i i completely agree i also want to say a word for the score yes
1: which yeah. I
3: think is it's a excellent. great score. It's a dynamite it, score it has a it has a bit of a grindy western feel twang. to it yeah yeah twang to it and uh and that that i think perfectly matches the tone of the movie um, so I just wanted to call that out as being uh, just perfectly, perfectly composed for that film. And I also want to say one thing that surprises me every time I see the movie: I forget how tall Charles Grodin is because I think <laughs> yes. of him as being this kind of schlubby guy. But he's, but when they're walking together, you see that he's really quite tall, and um, and that that just makes me think of him differently.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he, he always <laughs> hunches. He's always hunching. Yes, he
0: does. <laughs> It's a dynamite score, and it's the sort of score that I don't think Danny Elfman ever did anything else like no, it, no. which is weird because I know I've heard scores in some movie before that are clearly trying to rip this off
2: mm-hmm. to
0: get a similar kind of feel. It's an upbeat kind of score that we don't get mm-hmm. anymore when they all sound like Hans Zimmer stuff. Yeah, um, it's just it brings this tone to the movie that you know is perfect. Mm -hmm. it really is and you know I was thinking about this um, I was a movie came to mind that I hadn't seen in like 20 years that was clearly trying to use music like this and I was clearly um, trying to do a midnight run kind of thing and I hadn't thought about it in a long time and I looked it up and I realized that it was a movie directed by George Gallo and it was a movie that was trying to do midnight run and really wasn't Mm. it's it's a case where you can't just snap your fingers all the elements have to be in place it's Gallo, it's Breast, it's De Niro, it's Grodin, it's Elfman it's all those other supporting yeah. actors I was, um, I I remembered um, if I can talk about this I remembered the writer Dan Harmon who did Community he used to have this Tumblr page where he would write stuff and for some reason in the back of my head and I looked it up he once wrote about me meeting George Gallo like 10 years ago and to just gushed to him about Midnight Run, and Gallo gave him some behind-the-scenes tidbits on Midnight Run. And one thing he told him was that the scene on the bus, where De Niro is smoking, mm-hmm. and they talk mm-hmm. about the smoke, and it ends with um, Grodin again saying, why aren't you? Why aren't you popular at the Chicago Police Department? What Gallo told Harmon was that this was just a sort of warm-up take. They weren't, oh. they weren't really getting to the real takes yet. They were just doing a warm up take where they were really just running their lines at that point. And when the scene ends with Grodin saying, Why are you so unpopular? The Chicago Police Department, Grodin was really just starting the scene again from the top. Hmm. So in editing, whichever, there are three editors credited, whichever editor was like, found this piece of footage and turned that into the like even more of a runner than it already wow. was. And like, their, their, their interplay in that moment is relaxed.
2: Mm-hmm. And it just, mm-hmm.
0: they found this piece of footage that works so well. There's even a mm-hmm. desert chase mm-hmm. where all the, all the police cars have crashed throughout the desert. And there's an overhead shot from a helicopter of all the cars. Cut to Yafakoto in his helicopter. Mm-hmm. Cut to John Ashton in his car tracking the helicopter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I don't know if that's in the script or if Brest had that planned or if some editor, one of the editors just made that connection and it works beautifully. But it's all these people working together are bringing this element of clarity to every single moment that is making it the best film it can possibly be. Yeah. brilliant. watching it again the past couple of nights, all these things are jumping out in this level of craft. Mm-hmm. that just seems kind of miraculous now yeah absolutely oh, that's beautiful it's, it's,
3: it's, that is pure movie magic i love yeah. the idea that that uh that going around to the beginning of the dialogue made it into something even more precious yeah. and mm-hmm. i do love the rapport between them and that scene where it's almost they're just sort of joking with each other Mm-hmm. there's an intimacy there that is uh, that is just great the
1: absolutely the underrated genius of an editor <clears throat> excuse yeah. me yes. to, to guide a director and go yeah. i know what you want but this there is something here on this take it right yeah. in the pre-roll there's something here it's just yeah. something that cuts through all of the artificiality it just gets it yeah, yes I, I think um
2: Fresh eyes. You need that yeah, because if it's just you, you're not going to see it. Well,
3: it's yet. a little bit of, of a forest and a trees thing too. Yeah. You know, When you're shooting, you're so focused on each little individual moment, but yes. when you step back from it mm-hmm. and you have a sense of the rhythm and of, it's it's very easy when you're working on it moment by moment to forget what the audience knows and what they need to know. But the editor, the really good editors, that's what they keep foremost in their minds. And and yeah, they just really do miracles.
1: This movie is so, the more that we talk about it now, I'm like, there are so many movies that took that and, and so many powerhouse filmmakers who've, who have clearly love Midnight Run, even if they've never said out loud that I love Midnight Run. Like obviously the most famous one is Paul Thomas Anderson, who went and made a movie that was titled Sydney before it was retitled Heart 8 with mm-hmm. philip baker hall as this character as this you know t- as a sort of mob lawyer and he, he's always said it's like a sister movie a sister sequel in like an alternate universe where you know sydney's not just a mob lawyer and an advisor he's also a gambler and maybe he rolled out into being a gambler after the crash of the serrano crime family at the end of midnight run or something whatever he's done in his math he's done in his head but like i think of the get shorties and i think of the snatches and i think of anything later that had and i think of out of sight with dennis farina who plays his humor and impeccable comedic timing to perfection and 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 i just think about all these things and i'm just like everyone is really there's they're all trying you know even um i can't even remember what the movie's called now it had like robert Um, It had like Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis and it was a road movie and it was kind of halfway between Midnight Run. Yes, due dates. Halfway between kind of Midnight Run and uh, um, uh, like Planes, Trains and Automobiles sort of was the kind of vibe that it was going for. And I look at all these movies and I'm like, they're all just reaching the Midnight Run and they can't like, I don't, for whatever reason, as you said, Pete, there is an alchemy to ingredients. You can make the same meal and it tastes different if you use you know, but it's about... When do you put this in, and how do you do this part of it, and how do you do this part, of it and was it seasoned in the right way, and did you give it that time to kind of percolate and do its thing? Um, but yeah, it—they're all reaching for this movie in such either overt or you know covert ways. I think of the ones
3: you mentioned, the ones that come closest is is Get Shorty, which I do yeah. love. And once again, Get mm-hmm. Shorty. Every single person who is on screen, whether it's for thirty seconds or five minutes is perfect yes i mean yeah a, Feeny, Hackman, a supporting role yeah wow and 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 james gandolfini a yeah, supporting right. role but what a what a great movie again just just like more number one and more number two there's nothing funnier than somebody who thinks he's smarter than he is
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned the box office earlier and if we, we looked at the numbers it probably did less than We think, and even at the time Mm. the movie felt to me in my head as a kid, like a bigger hit than it really was. Uh, I know I saw it multiple times when it came out. And I remember the first time I saw it was a packed house at night. And we probably all have these memories of things in movie theaters that were one of the biggest laughs we've ever heard. And I have one of those memories with Midnight Run. And you probably wouldn't even guess which moment it was, but it was the headshake De Niro does after he shouts over the phone that he's gonna dump the road <laughs> in, <laughs> and dump in the fucking spot. And he does the head shake and the roof caves in. Oh my god. It was like a bomb went off. And that is one of those moments that sticks with me about this film that makes it seem like it was bigger at the time than it really was. But the yes. laugh really was that big. The two part question we'll never have an answer to is would it ha- would it have done better with Robin Williams and would we be talking about it right now?
2: Oh, that's a if good it question. had Robin Williams. yeah, Yeah, you don't know.
0: I'll uh, take Rodin over Robin Williams. I know that. Yeah,
2: I think so. I think it might have um overpowered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or tried tried to be funny when it didn't need to be funny. I love Robin Williams, but Oh, yeah. sure. Sure. Yeah. I love Robin um, Williams and I love him as a dramatic
3: actor as well as a comedian. Yeah. Actor but it, you could not improve Mm-mm.
0: on those two. No. Just, on
3: I, I, guess,
0: I guess it comes down to when I talked to Jen that time on that episode, Like, I I, I've, I have a particular fondness for Grodin and it almost makes the Grodin movies we have seem that much more special. There are not as many Grodin movies as there are Robin Williams movies. And I just respond yeah. to Grodin mm-hmm. so much in this and The Heartbreak Kid and certain other movies where he has smaller roles. Yes. And he's just...
1: The great a, the great Muppet Caper.
0: Oh, yeah. seems <laughs> like
2: old times, yeah. yes. all of them.
1: And
0: he's just such a good actor in general. I was watching Rosemary's Big Baby the other day. He's excellent at yeah. in- too. And he just whether it's the whether it's the funny stuff in Midnight Run or the serious stuff, he nails it. Mm-hmm. He nails it. Uh, he yeah, grown, I totally believe grown.
3: him as somebody who would stand up to somebody that he didn't think yeah. was right. Mm-hmm. so you know the idea of an accountant as the hero is not something we
2: see very often in movies
3: <laughs> and nor and- should we
1: nor should we know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but- it actually came a kernel of truth a, a real case of a, an accountant who didn't know he was like laundering for uh, the mob yeah didn't know yeah yeah
3: well I hope he's still with us, but yeah, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so that's part of the fun of the movie is that you have somebody, you tend to think of an accountant as being in kind of a yeah, persona mm-hmm. and that he has that moral core. We kind of like him right away from the beginning.
1: I just want to say, thank you. I think we've, I think we've done, yeah. um, it's been so fun traveling through this movie with you both it's it's such an amazing pleasure for jen and i to be on this journey together um and hear a whole bunch of different perspectives and Mm -hmm. it's it's it just makes me love this movie again and now you know that's if there's one hope that we have in any of the shows that both jen and i do it's like that people go back and watch the stuff we talk about and i i now i'm i'm now a victim of our own project because i'm like now i want to watch midnight run again i've watched it like (laughs) i've watched bits of it every day you know like just bits and pieces throw a scene on here throw a clip on here but uh thank you so much nell and peter for being a part of the show it's uh, okay. it's been you know, so I
0: watched
3: so it really yeah. is one of my all-time favorite movies and it's so much fun to talk about thank you thank you thank
1: you this has been midnight run through with blake howard and jen johans we'll be back next week with another episode but until then
2: see you in the next life See you in the next life.